Hey everyone, I'm Kayla Swope, mom to one, pregnant with our second from Down With Theo. And I'm Emily Green, mom to two from Down With The Greens. And this is Raising Extra, a community to make parenting and life a little easier and a lot less lonely. Every week we dive into all things motherhood, the good and the messy, while advocating for a better tomorrow for our babies. We'll hope you'll join us along this crazy, amazing journey while inspiring you along the way. It takes a village and we are so excited to share ours with you. everybody. Welcome back um, to this week's episode of Raising Extra. This week we have Whitney here with us and um, this episode is in February with February is Heart Awareness Month and Whitney is going to be sharing her story with both of her boys, um, Knox, who is her oldest with Down syndrome and also her youngest, Trip. Both of them had heart defects when they were born, so she's going to go and share her stories and tell us everything there is to know about heart awareness. Yeah, so I guess I'll just start from the beginning with uh, how Tyler and I um, kind of met and, and go into like a little bit about our family and then um, kind of break it down into each boy's experience because they're totally different. Um, so Tyler and I have been together for like eight years. Um, he was in the Navy and uh, I ended up after grad school, I moved to Virginia where he was stationed and we lived there for a couple of years. Um, we got married in December of 2019. So we just had our three year anniversary and um, three months after our wedding, COVID hit. And so um, during that time, we were contemplating whether or not he was going to leave the military and we were going to go back home. And he had this really cool opportunity to do an internship um, with General Electric here in Cincinnati for his last part of his military career. And so that kind of sold us on whether or not he was going to get out. Um, he decided we were going to be done with the Navy and move back home to Ohio. And so... Um, we moved back in May of 2020, and that was like the brunt of COVID. And so we got back here and bought a house. Um, a week after we bought the house, I found out I was pregnant. And so uh, we knew that we wanted kids within the first couple of years, but it was kind of a surprise on the timing. And so um, super exciting. It felt like kind of just like a good positive thing to happen during like such a weird time um, in the world. And so we were really, really excited. Our family was super excited. Um, first grandbaby on my side of the family and um, his mom's first grandchild. And so, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, we found out we were pregnant. Um, at the time we were still under the military insurance. And so I went to one of my prenatal checks, one of the first ones and um, just randomly asked. I was like, so I had been reading over the paperwork for the genetic testing. And I said, so what are the chances of us having a baby with Down syndrome at my age? And I don't know what made me ask that question, honestly. Um, it just that Down syndrome stood out on that paper to me for some reason. And I thought like, I don't know why this is crossing my mind, but I'm going to ask. And so I asked her and she was like, oh gosh, she's like, don't even think about that. She's like, you're not at the age to where we would expect that. And she's like, I wouldn't recommend the testing for you. Well, we found out that it was like covered through our insurance. And so I went home and told Tyler, I'm like, well, it'd be a way that we could find out the gender early. I was like, we probably don't have anything to worry about, but we'd get to know the gender. We can throw a gender reveal this summer and it'd be great. 
And so I think I was 12 weeks pregnant when I went in for the blood work. And about a week later, I was at work and um, I was in the middle of a patient visit, but I wasn't in front of the patient when my phone rang. Um, We have a workroom and I was in the workroom and uh, my phone rang and I answered it. I saw that it was my doctor and it wasn't my actual midwife. She was out for the day, Um, but the midwife said, you know, I have your result, and um, the reason I'm the one calling you is because I wanted you to hear it over the phone before you saw it in an email, and so my heart sank, and she said um, very calmly, your result came back abnormal. Um, Your baby tested positive for trisomy 21, and I think like I'm a very, I can hold it together in front of the person. I can hold my composure. and like a million things were running through my head. And I just very calmly said, okay, um, so what next? And she said, uh, well, we're going to be referring you to the MFMs, which is maternal fetal medicine through um, this hospital. And you'll go for further testing here in a couple of weeks. And she's like, you know, it's only a 60% chance that it is a positive result, but um, we want you to have further testing. And so I was like, this, okay, let's the 60% go. to me is crazy because when I got my, like, it was like, it was like nine, like the NIPT test was like 90, 99% or something. Yeah. Um, like, I didn't know that it was per person. Like, I just thought like this yeah. test was like 99% accurate. Like, I didn't know everyone had different like ratios of like how accurate it would be. That's crazy. So I think it has something to do with like the amount of blood that they get from, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but nonetheless, I was with 60%. And so- And okay, what's your response? (laughs) I was just like, okay. Um, In my mind, I'm just like, well, it's 60%. So that's a pretty good chance that they're wrong. And, you know, I'm young and I'm an occupational therapist, so I'm not naive. Like I know that um, people that are our age can have children with Down syndrome, but at that time I was just like, it's so rare. Like, and we don't have a family history, um, which doesn't even matter. But um, yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of the, my first thoughts, like initially when I got that call. And so I hung up the phone and immediately called Tyler and my, be mindful that I'm in the middle of a patient visit. And so I'm like getting all this news and I have a patient in the next room waiting for me. And um, I just told him, I said, I got a result back and I just lost it. And he's like, what is it? What, what, what's wrong? I, I said, um, he has Down syndrome or the baby has Down syndrome. We didn't know the gender at the time. And he's like, okay. So <laughs> he was like, what does that matter? We're just going to love this baby no matter what. And that was his initial response. And like looking back, I'm like, wow, that was definitely like a God thing. I feel like for him to respond like that, because it kind of set my tone. Um, for the rest of, you know, processing it that day. And uh, he was like, you know, we'll get through. This is our baby. And and so we had our follow-up with maternal fetal medicine three weeks later. And so at that time, I was 16 weeks pregnant. And my husband is a researcher. He um, will Google, like, Google and read every single article out there. Um, and so we had all of these, like, facts and which we thought were facts and research that, you know, our result was negative. We were going to go to these follow-ups and they were going to be like, oh, false positive. Like you guys are good. And so we went, we walked into this appointment just with our heads held high and thinking like this was going to be a confirmation for us to receive news that we had a healthy baby. 
And so we're in the ultrasound and um, our ultrasound tech was like super bubbly. And so after she was done with everything, we looked at each other. We were like, oh, she was acting normal. So, you know, she obviously didn't see anything. And so um, we go into the consultation room waiting for the doctor and it took like a half hour. And I kept thinking like, why is it taking so long? Um, During that time, we were Googling ultrasound pictures on our phones and comparing them to the profile picture that they had just given us of Knox. And we're like, oh, he looks totally normal, like whatever. And and so the doctor came in and he was um, right off the bat, very somber and just said, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Carver, um, your baby has a heart defect. And so instantly, like, I didn't even think about the Down syndrome. I'm like, heart defect. That wasn't in our plans. Like, what's going on? Um, and so he goes into what the heart defect was. And what they found that day was the atrial ventricular septal defect. And so Knox had a complete um, AVSD. And they also said that they saw on the ultrasound um, a sign of narrowing of the aorta, which is called a coarctation of the aorta. But that's something that they can't really diagnose in utero uh, because it's pretty difficult to confirm until after the baby's here. And so there was two two heart defects that we, um, that was how he started the conversation. And then he goes into, you know, with these defects, um, we typically see them in babies with Down syndrome. And so you've already had that blood work. And this is kind of just a 99% guarantee that because your baby has the blood work and the heart defects that he probably does have Down syndrome. And so uh, he asked us if we were interested in amnio. And I said, I've been considering it and um, just for confirmation because I'm a planner and I just wanted to know for sure. And he said, well, you have some kind of, I don't remember the name, but basically my water uh, sack was separated in a portion of, I don't know, I don't really remember any of that, but it, it put me at a higher risk of, of miscarrying um, if something went wrong. And so I said, no, I, you know, if there's a risk and I don't want to do it, um, and he said, well, one more thing, your baby also has bilateral club feet. And so he <laughs> showed us the picture. And uh, so it was just like, bam, 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 like one thing after the other in this visit. And I walked out and we got in the car and I just lost it. It's like, you know, God, I can take the Down syndrome. I can take the club feet. But why does my baby have to have a heart defect? Like I can't imagine. I can't even fathom my baby having heart surgery at birth. And so it was a lot to process. Um, that day we went home and we had my parents over and Tyler's parents over and we just sat there and talked it all out. And we are so lucky with the support that we do have. Um, I think that's the one thing that's gotten us through. And um, we just kind of hashed it out and said, you know, it doesn't matter what God's given us. This is our baby and we're going to love him and we're going to get through this and whatever it may be, um, you know, it's it's going to be all right. So from then on out, I had appointments um, pretty frequently. I was going to maternal fetal medicine visits um, at least weekly. They ended up starting to be twice a week too, uh, by the 30 week mark, I think it was. And also going to um, the fetal uh, cardiologist as well to get those fetal echocardiograms every few weeks. And um, each time, you know, we'll go in thinking like, oh, maybe it'll be healed. Maybe it'll be gone. Um, And it was there. And it just felt like the whole pregnancy, we were getting bad news. Um, So it was a lot. It was, it was a heavy pregnancy. It was our first pregnancy. And so it's one of those things that 
uh, I think I was 27, 27 years old. You just don't think you're going to have to carry that. Um, and so we had a birth plan to deliver at the Children's Hospital here in Cincinnati. And um, that's kind of a rare thing, or it was a rare thing then to do. It was pretty much for babies who were going to need surgery right away after birth. And so um, we went in and uh, had an induction scheduled for the week before my due date. And Knox didn't cooperate with the Pitocin. He didn't love the Pitocin. So um, we had a pretty traumatic birth experience as well and uh, ended up in an emergency C-section. And so they got him out. Everything was good. Um, he was stable and everything. And, and then they took him to the NICU. And um, like at this time, we didn't know whether or not the coarctation was there because that was the thing that they were going to have to diagnose at birth, basically. And so um, we, they took me back to recovery. Uh, I'm sitting in recovery and just like begging to see my baby. And, you know, I literally laid eyes on him and they took him. And um, mm -hmm. Tyler got to go up to the NICU and be with him. And so um, that was awesome. I was FaceTiming them. And um, about an hour afterwards, after I had him, an oncologist walks in and she said, um, you know, I don't, I know, I don't know if you're familiar with babies and Down syndrome. Um, oftentimes they can have a higher risk of developing blood disorders and leukemia and things like that. And I just felt like I was spinning out of control. I hadn't even held my baby and here an oncologist was coming in and, and starting a conversation off like that. And um, it was just I went numb again, you know, it's just like bad news after bad news. And and so she said, um, your baby has something called transient myeloproliferative disease, which is a mouthful, um, TMD for short. And I said, okay, well, what does this mean? She said, it means that he's going to need chemo um, his first week and then we'll go from there. I said, chemo, like, does this mean that he has cancer? And she said, well, if it were an adult, then we would call it leukemia. Um, but you know, has this TMD name. And so um, it was just more news to process. And uh, about five hours after I delivered him, I finally got to go up to the CICU, the cardiac intensive care unit, um, and got to hold him for the first time. And I looked at him and it was like, yes, he has Down syndrome. Yes, he has this leukemia, this form of leukemia. Yes, he has club feet um, and all these heart defects. But gosh, he was perfect in my eyes. You know, he, I couldn't have imagined anything. Um, anything I am different. way too pregnant and hormonal for this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love Knox so much. I'm sorry. I'm no, so I'm not even and pregnant and I'm crying. <laughs> I know I'm tearing up too. It's I okay. Know. And I love, I've never heard it. I, I love Knox. I, I love your story. This. And it's just, <laughs> And I feel like it's just like so hard to like tell every detail. So I'm skipping over mm. several things, but I'll try to do the best I can. No. <laughs> now, was Tyler with you when the um, oncologist came into like your recovery room or was he in the NICU with Knox? He was, um, I think at that time they went from the NICU to the CICU. And so he was in the cardiac intensive care unit with him. And I guess the oncologist walked into the room with him and Knox and she said, I'm an oncologist and I have some news for you. And Tyler said, nope, don't tell me. He's like, go down and tell my wife right now. And um, he's like, I didn't want to be the one to break it to you. He's like, I wanted you to hear it. <laughs> he was on FaceTime with me at the time. Um, 
but yeah, I, I was in that recovery room by myself for about five hours and I will tell you that was five hours of hell. It was brutal. Um, not only could I not meet my baby, but I was learning just thing after thing and it was like, what is going on? And so that moment that I got to finally hold him five hours, actually, you know, what? it was 530 PM and I had him at like 1140. So it had been almost six hours. And so finally, when I was holding him, it just felt like that all that weight that I was carrying was just like melted away. Um, and I had him in my arms and it didn't matter. And I knew right away, like, I don't care what we have to do. We're going to fight for him. We're going to um, love him. And we're going to make the best out of the situation because God chose us to be his parents. And this baby could have been born to anyone, but he picked us for a reason. Um, we were created to be his parents. And so um, that was kind of that moment that I knew it didn't matter. And all those months of waiting and not knowing because we had never done any of the testing to confirm that he had Down syndrome. And so honestly, like even the day before I had him, Tyler and I were like, well, maybe he'll be born and not have Down syndrome. <laughs> you know, we were just like bargaining the whole time. Um, and so then once we knew everything for sure was there and what the cards that we had been dealt, it was like, doesn't matter. Uh, nothing mattered from then on besides that we wanted the best for him. And so uh, they did his echocardiogram that day and it was still iffy on whether or not he had the correctation. Um, his PDA, so patent ductus arterius is like a, it's like an artery that is in a baby's heart when they're in utero. And then it kind of functions as the aorta. Um, so the aorta doesn't actually do its job until that PDA closes. Um, and that can happen anywhere from like the first day of life, like 14 days later is normal too. And so they were like, well, it's going to be kind of a waiting game to see when this PDA closes, will his aorta take over and be able to get blood out of it? Or um, is it going to be narrowed and show us that the blood's not going through? And they said, in, in that case, when it snaps shut, because it can be like pretty, like suddenly, um, if it snaps shut and he's not getting blood flow, we're going to start this medication to keep it open, but he's going to have surgery within a day or two. And so we're just sitting there with this like knowledge of we could be in surgery tomorrow for his heart. We could be sitting here for a couple of weeks. And so um, we were on the waiting game for that and ended up, um, I mean, one week went by, two weeks went by, three weeks went by, and this was in COVID. And so my parents couldn't meet the baby. Um, Tyler's parents couldn't, no one could. It was just Tyler and I. And we got to week four. And I just remember week four was like the worst for me. It was like, okay, we've been here for a month and no one's met my baby and we don't know what's to come um, for his heart. And his PDA had still been open, which, you know, is kind of rare um, for it to stay open like that. And so they called a conference with a cardiology team and decided, okay, this PDA doesn't look like it's closing, um, but we still see this like little bitty restriction in the aorta. And it may not be an issue um, when the PDA does close, but if the PDA doesn't close, then, you know, it's kind of like things are staying open that shouldn't. Um, and so they ended up deciding that he would get um, heart surgery to correct the suspected coarctation and close his PDA. And um, so this meant automatically that Knox is going to have two heart surgeries. And so that was pretty heavy news to hear because we were hoping that we could kind of get away from that first one and just wait until he was like about four or five months old to correct the uh, AVSD defect, the big one. And so um, 
they planned the surgery for April 5th, which was the day after Easter. And um, we have been there for five weeks on the day of the surgery. And um, surgery went great. They did go in through his chest the first time um, and were able to correct the correctation, close that PDA. And they also uh, put a pulmonary band and which would buy us some more time for that second surgery. They just wanted him to be like nice and chunky for that second one because it's more of an invasive surgery. And um, so they did that and we were home 10 days later. And so we just needed that surgery to get home. And um, during that time he was NG fed, I was pumping. I had a really big goal to breastfeed him and um, we were doing some practice nursing, but mostly the tube feedings. And uh, so we went home with oxygen and a feeding tube. And so that was an adjustment in itself. Um, you're bringing home a baby for the first time and then you have all this equipment you're hauling around to five doctor's appointments a week. And so it was just a lot. Um, I see those mamas out there today, you know, when I'm at Knox's appointments now and I'm like, gosh, I remember those days. And I just always smile at them and tell them like, it's going to get better. I promise. Because <laughs> um, in that, in those days, it just feels like, wow, what, what is this? Like, is this even my baby? You know, like you just feel like you have this whole team that's controlling your baby. Um, and so uh, we were home and we landed ourselves our first ER trip like two weeks after we were home. And um, it was for blood and Knox's stool. And it was very unknown on why that was happening. Um, they kept us. They did tests, couldn't figure it out. And so they discharged us home. Um, kept happening. And so we, I think by the time he got to a second surgery, we had gone to the emergency room five times that summer. And uh, it's funny how when you're a medical mama and your baby um, has all these needs, the hospital becomes a safe place. And so as weird as it sounds like as bad and as we crave to just be home and have a normal life with our baby, every time we went to the emergency room, I had a little bit of peace and it was like, okay, he's getting checked up on. I know he's in good hands. If anything goes wrong, he's here. And so um, it, it kind of became this comfort zone. And um, I just mentioned that because I feel like there's probably other people that feel that same way. Like, I want my baby at home, but also um, I know you guys can keep him safe. And so uh, that's just kind of how our first little stretch of parenthood was, was of this boy. But gosh, he's safer here. And um, so all those emergency room trips, um, they ended up deciding that he could potentially have a dairy allergy. And so because I was breastfeeding him, um mainly giving him milk through his tube, but um, pumping, they had me do uh, go allergy free, like allergen free. And so I was on this, like literally probably eating grass and um, salad all the time <laughs> to get all of the allergens, the potential allergens like gluten, milk, um, nuts, like I couldn't have any of that stuff. And so I did that for about six weeks. And um we landed in the ER again because he still had these bloody stools. He ended up getting like a little cold. And anytime he got a little cold, it was like a big deal. And so it was July, end of July. We were back in the hospital and um, they decided that his echo looked a little worse. And so we were planning on surgery like in the September timeframe. But after that hospital stay, they decided that it needed to be done in a couple of weeks. And so they sent us home. And um, he's stable and everything, still on the feeding tube. At that time, we had kind of weaned down his oxygen to where he was only wearing it at nighttime. 
And um, so at five, he was about five and a half months old. It was August 16th. We went in for his AVSD repair and it went beautifully. We couldn't have asked for a better experience. Um, we had the surgeon that we had the first time and something new knocks. And um, so it went great. We were in and out of the hospital four days with him for open heart surgery, which was incredible. It was like every prayer was answered. Um, and so after that, pretty much what our mission was, was the club feet. And so we were recovering from heart surgery, started the club feet process, which entailed eight weeks of casting. Um, then we went into 23 hours of boots and bars. And so during his whole first year, my mentality was, well, we were in survival mode. And I just kept thinking first birthday, first birthday first birthday because at his first birthday, he was supposed to be done with the casting. Um, he would only be wearing the boots and bar brace for his club feet at night and um, cardiology wise, his heart would be repaired. And so I, that was like the end goal was to get to his first birthday and then we could take a, you know, a big breath. Um, and so we get to February and we're planning his first birthday and um, I was a little late for my period. <laughs> So did the pregnancy test and wow, a second surprise. <laughs> um, so uh, we found out about trip in February. Knox was 11 months old. And I think there was just this like instant fear um, because we knew we wanted other children. But from like the crazy year that we had, it was like, Think we need some time, you know. We gotta like just soak in this healthy knocks and uh, maybe here in like a couple of years give him a sibling. And so when it happened that fast, it was it was a lot to process. And you're thinking like, oh, are we gonna have a healthy baby this time? It's not a guarantee. Um, are we gonna be taking away from Knox and his therapy needs? Are we, you know, it was just a lot um, to think about. And uh, I remember texting you, Kayla, and being like, what are we? <laughs> I don't know what I just did, but I'm pregnant. It was just, it was a mess. Um, and, and so finally at like all, you know, we accepted it, sunk in, got through to our first appointment. And of course our first question is like, what are the chances this baby has a heart defect? What are the chances this baby has Down syndrome? Like all of that. And um, our doctor had known about everything that went on with Knox. I wasn't with the high risk doctors at this point. I went back to my regular OB and uh, he's like, well, let's just put in for the blood work. Let's um, plan on, you know, an ultrasound at, I think my anatomy scan, he even bumped it up a little bit just to like get, try to give me peace of mind and not have to wait until the 20 weeks. I think it was like 18 or 19. Uh, and so we got through the blood work and we kept our pregnancy um, pretty much a secret. We had told a couple of friends, hadn't told our family or anything. And then we finally, um, once we got that blood work and knew that all of the genetic stuff came back normal, we announced our pregnancy to our family and friends. And of course, everybody was super excited. Um, and then the big thing was getting to the anatomy scan. So now the heart defect that Knox had, um, we had two, um, yeah. is that did they contribute that to like him having down syndrome, which is why he had a heart defect or was it something else? So the atrial ventricular septal, well, both of the, the defects that he had were, um, are more common in down syndrome. However, you can have those defects and not have down syndrome. So, uh, they did associate both of his heart defects with down syndrome. They did not recommend any testing for Tyler. I, um, at that point, because, they said this was 
pretty much because he has Down syndrome. This is like one in, I think it's one in two babies with Down syndrome will have a heart defect. And so um, that's what they associated this with. And so we um, were told, you know, pretty much like the chance of you having another baby with a heart defect is 1%. Um, so we go into the anatomy scan and the heart was definitely my biggest concern. I knew that Knox's heart defects were most likely because of his Down syndrome. However, it was just like this like thought in my head, like, you know, what if, what if? Um, and so we have gotten really good at <laughs> paying attention to ultrasounds and like the, um, I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention, but like in the corner, it says like gestational age. And then like when they do the measurement, it says what like the predictability of like how many weeks that measurement is or whatever. And so mm-hmm. uh, we were like watching those measurements like a hawk. Like, is he tracking? Um, is everything looking good? And uh, I feel Tyler turn his head like that to me when they're measuring the nuchal fold in the back of the neck. That's something that they measure for Down syndrome. Um, if it's thick, it's a higher risk that the baby will have Down syndrome. And so I see his head like fly over. And I guess he had known what the normal range for that was and tripped was high. And so I'm like rolling my eyes like, oh, my gosh, he's freaking me out. And um, but we're just finished the ultrasound. We had seen a couple other measurements. So like the brain measured a week behind what I was, according to that little corner measurement on the screen. Um, And then what else? There was something else. Oh, it looked like there was increased like one of the kidneys was larger than the other. And so that's another thing, like a soft marker for Down syndrome is the water on the mm-hmm. kidney. And so we got to the waiting room. They sent us back out there and we're waiting for the doctor. And Tyler's like Googling on his phone. Didn't even say anything to me yet. But apparently his, his wheels are spinning and he's Googling and he shows me his phone. And it's like the water thing on the kidney. Um, the mm-hmm. old. And so Tyler thinks that our baby has Down syndrome again. <laughs> and um, I didn't have the best feeling about the ultrasound. I felt like the tech was being kind of like quiet and and I know they can't tell us anything. So I, I know those I'm- texts and their poker face. I'm like, gosh, can you just please tell me something? I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So we went back and we saw the doctor. And uh, like I said, he knew everything that happened with Knox. And so he was always like trying to bring us down from being like very anxious. He was like very reassuring, you know, like trying to tell us, um, you don't have anything to worry about. Like, it's so rare that this would happen again. And so we said, so how did it look? Because he didn't tell us right off the bat, like ultrasound looked good. He just came in and was like asking us normal life questions. And I was like, so how did the ultrasound look? And he said, uh, it looked fine. And I didn't like that answer. Fine is not good for me. It, you know, fine is just mm. like, you're leaving me on the edge here. Like if it was good, you would have said it looked good. And if it was right. bad, you would have told us. And so I knew, like, in the back of his mind, he didn't like some of the measurements, but he didn't want to freak us out. And so um, I said, well, did you see anything that was, like, abnormal? And he said, hmm, everything looked within the range that it should be. And I said, well, what about the nuchal fold? Like, we saw the measurement was thick. And he's like, oh, that doesn't matter. He's like, that doesn't matter at this point in your pregnancy. That's something we look more for in the beginning. It's like it could be, you know, the difference in um, the tech measuring it, you know, could could look completely different if I were to measure it myself. And I didn't like that answer either. Um, and then we asked him about the kidney and he's like very normal for boys. We knew at that time Trip was a boy and he's like very normal for boys to have this. He's like, it probably won't be larger. Um, 
you know, at your next ultrasound or no, he didn't even say next ultrasound. Uh, he said it, it'll go away by the end of the pregnancy. And then, um, we asked him about the brain and he's like, oh, that's still within normal. And so he sent us off. Um, I asked him if we were going to have any more ultrasounds and he said, no, he's like typically normal pregnancies. Like we don't do another ultrasound. We just, you know, we, this is our confirmation, the anatomy scan, that everything looked fine. And I didn't, I just didn't feel right about it. It just bothered me that, um, I don't know, that I had concerns and we weren't going to have a follow-up ultrasound. And so we left and and Tyler's like, we're good. Like the doctor is the pro. He said we're good. And I just told him, I said, I don't feel right about it. And so I texted a family friend that's a genetic counselor, and she is actually where um, she worked at the hospital that, or she works at the hospital that uh, we went to through the, for the maternal fetal medicine doctors. And so I texted her and I said, this is what we saw on the ultrasound. Doctor says it's normal. We're not getting another ultrasound with him. I said, what do you think about it? And she said, I'm bringing you in next week because um, I want you to have another ultrasound. She said, the nuchal fold being thick is not just a sign of Down syndrome. It's a sign of a heart defect, which I never knew. Like that was new information to me. She said, I don't want to freak you out, but because you don't feel good about it. I want to bring you in and, um, you know, have another ultrasound and then if everything's good. You go back to your OB and, um, hopefully that's the case. And so she got us scheduled for that next Monday. Um, we went in and we had the ultrasound and the doctor came in afterwards and said, uh, we found a muscular, a small muscular ventricle septal defect. Um, and, Ooh, that was that was pretty intense in that moment. I'm like, are you kidding me? How is this happening again? Like, does this mean this baby has Down syndrome? Uh, was my first thought. And um, so she then goes and he has water on his kidney. And he has a potential coarctation of the aorta, which is that defect that Knox had um, that required surgery when he was five weeks old. And so... Um, was not okay. <laughs> um, it was, you know, we get halfway through our pregnancy thinking, oh, the blood work looked good. You know, we're, we're smooth sailing now. And now our world came crashing down once again. Um, I felt like we could not get a break. And so uh, she said, we're going to refer you for a fetal, uh, a, a pediatric fetal echocardiogram. Um, and so we went and got that a couple weeks later. And on that echo, it showed that he did have the small muscular hole in his heart, but they said that the coarctation was not there. They did not see it. Um, and so because of that, this VSD, the the hole in the, the muscular hole is apparently also very common and something that usually will close, um, if not within the first um, or if not by the end of the pregnancy, it'll close within the first year of life. And so it hardly ever requires surgery. They were very encouraging about it. And, um, so after that appointment, we felt like so relieved, you know, it was like, oh, this is good news. We aren't going to have to worry about this initial surgery because he doesn't have the coarctation. He has this VSD, but the doctor basically said that we could be walking around with them and not even have any symptoms of it. Like it's not a big deal. Most, um, most cases are unknown. And so the rest of the pregnancy was kind of like normal. We, um, 
I I did stay with the high risk doctors just because he had that hole in his heart. And so I stayed with the doctors I was familiar with, with Knox. And um, we had extra monitoring. So like throughout the last 10 weeks of the pregnancy, I was going every week and we had tons of ultrasounds and they all looked good. Um, But the hole was still there by the end. And they were like, it's really fine. Like you'll deliver him and we'll kind of see. Um, if he's showing us a murmur, like when we listen to his heart, if he has a murmur, if it's loud, we'll have you follow up with your cardiologist within like a week or two after he's born. But everybody was so laid back about it. And so it kind of gave us peace of mind. Um, and we weren't as anxious as what we were when we first found out everything. So um, I had the best like redemptive labor and delivery I could have asked for. Um, I really wanted to do a VBAC because of the traumatic experience I had with Knox. I just wanted that um, delivery process to kind of redeem pregnancy and, and delivery for me. So um, I was very uh, passionate to my doctors about how much I wanted that to happen. <laughs> and, uh, so we had this birth plan that if I went past my due date, then I would be induced three days later. And um, I was at a good place in, in my progress with labor that um, an induction was fine. And so we did that and it was great. I was able to do a VBAC um, trip came out. I mean, we got like the snuggles right away that I didn't get with Knox because Knox was taken right from me. And so it just felt like we were on cloud nine. It was the absolute um, most amazing experience. And so next I want to stop you right there because you are talking like you've had this redemption VBAC, right? You push out a 10 pound baby with me. Like yeah, I, do I could not imagine you. You're just talking about it like it's like so nonchalant. Like you pushed out a huge linebacker. I did. Um, I didn't mention that part, but yeah, he was a big baby. But <laughs> I had a really amazing medical team. We knew he was going to be big. Like my whole pregnancy, they're like, "Oh, he's venturing like two or three weeks ahead," and so we had been calling him our little linebacker the whole time. And uh, then he came out, and he was a lot bigger than anybody anticipated. But <laughs> It's fine. I had this great medical team that was patient and everything still went great. And so, um, yeah. So then the next day, uh, the, one of the pediatricians from the children's hospital that routinely comes by for all babies stopped in and listened to his heart and said, I do hear the murmur. So I want you to follow up with your pedi- or with the cardiologist um, that you take Knox to. It's totally fine. You can do that um, within two weeks. And so all right, well, it is what it is. He's healthy. All of his vitals were normal. His blood work was normal. Everything looked like we just had this perfect, healthy baby, knowing that he had a small hole in his heart that would probably close by the time he turned one. And so we were discharged home um, on a Sunday. I had him on a Friday. We were discharged home on a Sunday. And, um, you know, postpartum anxiety is pretty common. Um, But I think when you have a baby that's had medical history, it's probably even more highlighted and your friends and family know what you've been through. And so they want to be there uh, for you to encourage you and um, also listen to your concerns, but also, you know, make sure that um, you're not unraveling. And so I was getting anxious. I think the first kind of day that I was worried was the Tuesday after he was born. And I just sitting there watching his breathing. And I said, do you guys see this breathing? Like he's breathing really fast. And, you know, my great um, family and friends were like, yeah, I mean, babies do weird things. Like he's fine. You're just, you know, you're working up yourself for nothing. Um, Everything's fine. This is not the same situation as Knox. Kind of take a deep breath. And so 
I just had this weird feeling all week. I, I didn't feel right about him. Something was off. And I um, actually sent a video to a couple of my nurse friends and said, does he look like he would expect a, a one week old or a five day old to look? And like, yeah, he's just doing that belly breathing, that normal belly breathing. And so I tried to take that as like, you know, okay, I need to relax, but I couldn't. Something in the back of my mind just kept telling me something is wrong. And we went to the pediatrician twice that week um, because his jaundice levels or his, his belly ribbons were a little bit high. Um, and so they're monitoring that a little bit closer than they normally would have to. And so we were in the pediatrician's office twice that week. And I mean, no doctor like saw anything abnormal with him. And so um, Friday came around and he was eating great. Um, he was sleeping great. You know, he was just like this great baby, but I just still had this, like, it was like a pit in my stomach that I couldn't shake. And, um, so then Sunday, um, he wasn't himself. Like he, he just seemed different than he had all week. Um, he wasn't eating as much. Um, he was sleeping a lot more, but it was the first time I was going to get out of the house. We were going to go to my in-laws for dinner. And um, so we got the kids ready. We went to my in-laws and Trip screamed like I hadn't heard him scream all week um, on the way there and just thought, you know, he's hungry. Uh, so we get there and he's drenched in sweat. Like his forehead is sweaty. Um, his back was completely soaked. Excuse me. And I know that we had the heat on because it was cold, but I just felt like that's kind of weird. So the whole time we were there, um, I actually remember telling my husband while we were sitting on the couch, like, look at Trip. He just doesn't look right. And he's like, you stop. You're fine. Um, so I went back into the bedroom to nurse him and he wouldn't latch. And that was the first time he hadn't latched since he had been born. Um, he was a 10 pound baby. So he liked to eat, obviously. <laughs> um, and so that was like a red flag for me. I was like, okay, well, First, I'm worried about his breathing. He's been sleeping more today. I've heard this shriek on the way here, this cry that I had never heard before. And now he's not latching. And uh, so I got back out there and I'm just like sitting there. My thoughts are just like spinning. And at that time, we were packing everything up to go back home. And we lived with my parents at the time. We were building our house. And so we get home. And after thinking about it the whole way home, um, I walk in. And I put Trip in his little bassinet and I walk up to my mom and I just looked at her and I said, something isn't right. And I don't know what it is, but can you please go look at Trip? And so she's like, okay, let's go in, let's go in here and look at him. And she's like, what are you worried about? And I told her, you know, his breathing looks weird to me. He just doesn't seem right. I said, look at his feet. They're purple now. And so we take him out of the bassinet. We put him on the bed. And that time I actually texted Abby, who I know was on here a couple weeks ago, um, because I knew she was a NICU nurse. And I texted her a picture of his feet and his breathing. And she was like, Whitney, if you're worried, I think that you should take him to children's just to get looked at. She's like, um, I do agree with you. I think that his breathing looks a little fast. You know, Abby, she's super laid back and just like mm -hmm. comes across very like subtle and calm. But the fact that she told me like, go with your mom gut, um, it was the first time I was validated that week. And I think that's what I needed was somebody to just tell me like, you're not overthinking. You're, this is not postpartum anxiety. This is real. You know your baby um, and you have this mom gut, this bad feeling. And so we um, 
took his rectal temperature because I felt like he was cold, cold, like his feet were cold, his hands were cold. And I said, I want to take his temperature. And uh, it was 94.7. And so at that point, I looked at my husband who all night was kind of like, come on, like I got to go to work. (laughs) Like not like he wasn't like, (laughs) yeah, not taking me serious. But on the other hand, he was like, I don't think this is a big deal. You know, trying to just like really downplay it. Like, we're not going to take him to the hospital. He's fine. And I looked at him at that moment. I was like, no, we're taking him right now. And so we start picking, like packing our things up. Um, And my mom was like, well, why don't you grab your blood sugar kit? I was gestationally diabetic. So I had one in my car. She's like, why don't you go out there and grab that? We'll check his blood sugar. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe he just needs to eat. We'll give him a bottle or you can try to nurse them again. And so I went out there, I walked in and he was gray. His color was gone. And I, um, I called 911 and they're telling me, you know, like count his breathing. And so I'm They said, every time he takes a breath in, say breath. And um, the amount of times he had taken breaths, they were like, oh, he's fine. You know, he's breathing at a normal rate. And I said, yeah, but he's gray. He doesn't have any color. And they said, well, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to send an ambulance or are you guys going to leave and go to the hospital yourself? And I said, send somebody right now and maybe we'll meet them somewhere. And they're like, well, they can't meet you anywhere. They're coming to your house. And so they stayed on the phone with me and we stimulated him and he's breathing, but it was very shallow and very slow. And he honestly just didn't look like he was there. And so, um, we take him over to the couch and it was 14 minutes. Um, and the, the paramedics walk in and, um, this, you know, they're looking at him and they're like, well, let's, let's go ahead and take him down. Um, but it just didn't seem emergent to them in that moment. And so it took us a little while to get down to the hospital. And as soon as we walked in, uh, the ER nurse said that baby needs to go to the trauma bay right now. And so they took us to the trauma bay and Tyler was parking the car. He wasn't able to ride in the ambulance with us. So I was by myself and um, immediately like 20 people are swarming my baby and he was nine days old and, um, they're hooking him up to things and they put the little bag, um, you know, like when the baby gets bagged and they're like breathing for them, they put that on his face. And I was just like a mess at that point. Cause I'm like, how am I watching this happen? Like I've been through all this with my first son and now I'm watching my baby get bagged and we don't know what's wrong. And it was just, it felt like an out of body experience, honestly. Um, and Tyler finally got back there. Um, and the cardiology team was called. And, um, the reason they were called is because they, he had that history of the VSD. Um, at that point they had no idea what was going on though. Cause they're like, this wouldn't cause this. A VSD would not cause this kind of presentation. And so they're thinking like maybe he potentially had an infection and he's going septic. Um, and so the cardiologist came down, they did an echo and they said, um, under their breath, I could hear them though. Like, this might be a coarctation. And I knew that term, like I had been through that with Knox. And um, so they are, you know, talking amongst themselves and Trip in the meantime is on this bed getting um, breaths for him um, because he wasn't breathing at his normal rate. And um, the doctor pulls us aside and says, your baby's very sick. Um, If you wouldn't have gotten here when you did, you may have had an hour or two. And he said, if we don't intubate him right now, he will die. If we do intubate him, he could still die. And 
I don't even know like how you explain, you know, that a conversation like that, um, what we were feeling. I mean, it was something like I had never felt before. We were prepared for all of Knox's stuff. We knew, you know, kind of the agenda for it. And this was just totally different. Um, And so he asked if he could intubate him. And we were like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, like do what you have to do. And we just went out in the hall and we prayed and prayed and prayed. And my prayer was just rescue him right now. Just rescue him. He needs rescued. And um, they came out and said the intubation was successful, um, but that the squeeze of his heart was so poor that, um, you know, this is why he was so sick. And they took us up to the CICU that night, um, the cardiac cardiac intensive care unit, which we had been very familiar with. We spent um, seven weeks there with Knox. And so it uh, kind of felt like that warm and cozy feeling that I was talking about. It felt like, okay, well, I don't want to be here with my baby, but at least um, we're here where he can get help and he's safe. And so um, they diagnosed him with a coarctation and um, that meant that he was going to need surgery that week. And so, uh, you know, one thing after the other, they scheduled the surgery. Um, he had surgery at 11 days old. They repaired the coarctation. And I think that whole week we were just like, what is causing this? You know, like, what did we do? Um, is it something wrong with us? Is it something, you know, environmentally? Like, you just question everything. Like, was it something I ate in my diet? Like, during both pregnancies, you just question everything. What is causing this? And um, so... Trip got discharged. He did great with the surgery. We brought him home and Tyler and I went and got echocardiograms on ourselves um, and everything came back normal. Genetics came back normal. And so uh, it's really up in the air on why this happened. I feel like, you know, it's like one of those things that you're like, why us? But why not us? Because um, we've been given these two heart warriors that have overcome more than most people can, you know, fathom in their first year or two of life. And um, I'm just so grateful that we get to parent them. Um, They have grown our faith. They have grown our relationship and our marriage and um, just the community around us and our support. I mean, we just have like this amazing testimony for both of our boys. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just now I can look back and say I'm grateful for these experiences. Um, do, would it have been nice to not have so much stress <laughs> as we entered parenthood? Uh, yeah, um, but I'm just thankful that you know we get to get to be their mom and dad. It's the best thing in the world, and now they have this thing in common that they can bond over for the rest of their life. Um, I think one of the biggest things I was worried about about having a child with Down syndrome was. Will he get left out of things? Will he get made fun of? Um, And now he has this brother that is 19 months younger than him that has this heart condition as well. And it's like, nobody's going to be messing with these boys. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's our story. That's a a hard one. (laughs) I'm like holding back tears because I remember the whole time when you like I don't you didn't tell us you were in the hospital right away and then all of a sudden I was like we're here we're having heart surgery um and I just you were so strong during the whole entire thing and I don't think that I ever would have been able to be as strong as you and continue to hold my faith so I'm really glad that you had shared your story with us today thank you yeah, I don't even know like how you can even share it like without crying because I'm like crying for you over here. <laughs> I couldn't get through that. Yeah. I don't know how you can get through that. And it's still so fresh too. Um, mm. But 
I guess like are both the boys like do they still have like follow-ups with cardiology and how is that working today? So um, it was pretty crazy. We were uh, the the cardiology team said that they, we were the first to have this happen, but that we brought both of our boys in for cardiology visits on the same day when Trip was two weeks old. <laughs> we went to the cardiologist with him for his follow up after surgery, and Knox was just ironically due for an echo for his heart. Um, and so we scheduled him for the same day and went in with the brothers. And <laughs> I mean, it was kind of just like one of those surreal moments, like. Like, this is my life, you know, like you think about being a mom your whole life and like, this isn't what I pictured, but here we are. And um, so, yeah, they have their follow ups. Knox is cleared for yearly checkups now because his heart is looking great. Um, Trip is so he just had um, his echo actually last Friday. So that was his second follow up after surgery. And so we were cleared to come back not for um, another six months. So we'll go back in six months and um, it'll be kind of around the time that Knox needs to go back for his yearly echo. And so we um, will be doing that brother visit again. But um, hopefully we get to the point to where it's just yearly follow ups for both of them. Um, Trip does have some um, kind of little, like, I guess they're not minor concerns. They're um, just some things they're keeping an eye on. Um, his aortic valve is bicuspid and it's supposed to be tricuspid. And so there is some concern that that looks a little funky and they're going to keep an eye on it. And hopefully um, it doesn't, you know, take a turn for the worse. We are faithful that it will all heal up right and that, um, you know, he won't need another surgery. But as of, you know, our most recent visits with both of them, they shouldn't need further surgeries unless something takes a turn. And so um, they'll both have cardiology for the rest of their life, but really just to kind of check up um, periodically. Um, so I only have one other question. So now that you're on the other side, because I know it's really hard when you're like in the midst of all of the um, cardiac things that are going on. What would you tell a mom um, who's like either prenatally having this experience happen or their baby's born and they just found out about that? Like, what would you want to tell them? I think um, something that I've learned with both of my kids is that they will become your hero. Um, they, you watch them overcome battle after battle and it's so hard in the moment and you're fighting for them and they're fighting for themselves. Um, and then you get on the other side of it and you're like, wow, I am so thankful for this experience because um, my baby just became a hero. I, I just watched him overcome all of these things and it's in inspiring. Um, it's inspiring to see this little life that is less than a year old and trips you know, case um, less than a week old or less than a month old. Um, it's it's just incredible to see them fight and um, that, you know, there will be hard days, um, but leaning into your community and your support systems, um, that's really how we got through. And just like knowing that our boys um, have a testimony for the rest of their lives and that, you know, talk to your people, um, lean into, uh, you know, your church, your friends, anybody, um, just for that support. Um, yeah. I love that. And definitely follow your mom gut. That's what I learned yes. here today. Yes. <laughs> Cause yes, I think so, actually, so often yeah. it's like, yeah. it's, it's like, you're fine. Like you're just overreacting, but like, 
right. are we overreacting? And um, yeah. I think here recently you really helped me with something that we went through and you were just like, just go, just go get checked out. So we did and everything was fine. But um, just having a support system that encourages you and like really looks out for your family, I think is really important. Oh yeah. That yeah. mom gut is no joke. That mom gut, you know, it, it's, um, I think it's there for a reason. You know, we are bonded to our babies. They were in our bellies. We were one. And I think we're given that mom gut for a reason. And so don't ever let anybody tell you that you're overthinking or that you're paranoid or anything like go with that mom gut. Because, um, if I wouldn't have gone with my mom gut, then I would be grieving my baby right now. And the fact that I listened to that and we, you know, were able to get through it. I now have him and I couldn't imagine it any other way. And so, um, mom gut is a real thing. Don't let anybody Mm -hmm. tell you different. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like too, with the anxiety that you kind of touched on, because like I suffer definitely from still like three years from Luca's birth to today, I still have like terrible anxiety. Um, like a lot of times we can be dismissive or others can be dismissive of the mom gut, just like, oh, it's just anxiety. But like, if you really feel like a certain, like, and for us, like not that long ago when Luca had RSV, it was that like breathing, right? It was just like, this isn't normal. Like I know my baby and this is not normal. And so like, of course I thought, oh, I'm just crazy. But then like when I really did check it, I was like, yeah, no, his oxygen is very low mm-hmm. right now. Like, it's yeah, just yeah. can be often dismissed. So yeah, definitely don't really think you're crazy. Right. Exactly. Um, you're not crazy. Yeah. Moms know before anybody else. And like I said, I think it's because the way that um, pregnancy is designed, then we just have like a different kind of connection with our baby. And so when mm-hmm. something is wrong, we are given that little gut feeling like, you know, let's, let's get it checked out. And if anything, it's just for peace of mind. I mean, nobody's ever mm-hmm. going to yeah. be able to make you feel bad about getting peace of mind, especially, um, you know, if it's something that has to do with life and <laughs> wellness. So, um, yeah. Well, this was great. I'm so glad that we got to kick off Heart Month with you and your family. Um, if people want to follow you, where should they go to hear more of your story? We have an Instagram and it's at catching up with underscore the carvers. Um, it's all an awesome trip. <laughs> I spam, <laughs> spam the internet with videos of them, but uh, yeah, that's where you can follow us. And they're the sweetest to watch their brotherly love. I just, I cannot wait for Theo's sibling to be here and like just to see them grow together. Um, even like Nico and Luca, like they're so cute to see. So um, we'll have to have you back for like a 202 episode um, once <laughs> this baby comes and um, once you get a little bit more more into the 202 life <laughs> now that things have calmed down a little bit. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, we look forward to having you back on our podcast. Emily, do you have anything last to say? No, other than thank you. Um, I don't, Luca doesn't have, or neither of my babies have any heart um, defects. So I, I've learned a lot. <laughs> um, so I just want to say thank you for your vulnerability, honestly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thankful for. We hope you found something useful from this episode. It would mean the world to us if you'd take a second to rate, review, and follow the show and tell your friends about it. It's the best way to support Raising Extra.
And if you have any questions you want us to cover on the show, please follow us on Instagram at Raising Extra and send us a DM. We want to hear from you.